You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on Wurundjeri and Bunurong country of the Kulin Nations and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Iris Lee. This week, we focus on the Uyghur people's struggle in East Turkestan. Uyghurs are an oppressed people resisting state-sponsored genocide by the Chinese state in Xinjiang province, also known as Occupied East Turkestan. Later on in the program, we hear from a recent Senate for Uyghurs protest, but first we hear from Uyghur community member Fazilet. First, would you like to introduce yourself, listeners? Thank you, Iris. I'm Fazilet. I am a member, we were a member of the Uyghur community in Australia. I'm somewhat of a creative who works in marketing. I actually studied business fashion at uni, so even though my educational background is not in world politics, it's interesting how both fashion and politics aren't mutually exclusive. At the moment, Uyghurs are going through a really dark time in history and the international community is lagging behind. It almost feels as if I don't have a choice but to speak up about the ongoing ethnogenocide committed by China's Communist Party against 3 million Uyghurs in occupied ET. Now, the region was once referred to as East Turkestan, home of the Uyghur Turkics, before China's occupation, where shortly after they renamed it to Xinjiang, and it translates to New Colony. That is probably the term that you've heard used a lot in the mainstream media, and I will be abbreviating East Turkestan as ET for our chat today. Thanks so much for situating that introduction for listeners. Of course. So why and how has the Chinese state's genocide genocide of Uyghurs intensified since 2014? To be honest with you, Iris, I have also been asking this question. Why is the Chinese government committing genocide, this really brutal crime against Uyghurs for the past five years? Growing up, I was reading and watching different books on media about the Holocaust. I had the privilege of being educated about the truth about our own history in Australia of the stolen generation. We would have multiple excursions every year in school around rural South Australia to visit our Indigenous community who still reside. And they would talk us through about what they went through, how their ethnicity went through a genocide. And I grew up of this notion that you know, this was never going to happen again, that there was a whole never again in my mind. But for the past five years and to present, the Chinese government has been using similar methods to commit the same crime against Uyghurs in the very time we're living in, where on one side of the world, we're all still in shock of Will Smith's little performance at the Oscars and flooding our timeline with memes. Whereas on the other side of the world, there are millions of people going through a genocide. It still baffles my mind and it has been so hard to compare comprehend both emotionally and mentally. Therefore, I think we should redirect this question to the criminal that's committing the crime, not the victims, and at the same time, the survivors of the crime. Now, in another sense, we could come up with various geopolitical, economic, and other reasons for China's genocide of Uyghurs, but I want to emphasize on one really important point here is that this genocide didn't just 
after 2017 with a mass one to three million Uyghurs in concentration camps. There was a period of a pre-mass attention and a preparation era of the Genocidal Act. According to some verified witness testimonies, the local authorities in occupied ET had already tightened the rules in 2014 and 2015. The authorities initiated a permission card system even for just visiting or traveling from one state to another or from one city to another. There were lots of checkpoints and heightened surveillance with cameras in cities and country towns to track Uyghur people's behaviour. They started tracking down every single Uyghur person in different regions using an AI social credit system to form and give points for each Uyghur's profile to classify them and prepared a huge database for the mass attention, which then took full momentum in 2017. Now, you could easily find these points in some of the leaked documents like the Karakash list, which was published in the New York Times, and the leaked documents used in the Independent Uyghur Tribunal that was held in London in last December. Since 2018, the Uyghur population has dramatically decreased due to the Chinese government's forced sterilization of the women with either IUD or another unknown form of medicine to stop their periods, to stop them from having children. And these are directly from the testimonials of the concentration camp survivors. Now, in addition to that, the testimonies have come from women who also went through the pilot trial that I mentioned earlier. These are some really important indicators on the Chinese government's primary intention of committing this crime. The most important and crucial indicator is how they targeted Uyghur women specifically and initiated forced abortions, forced sterilizations. There are heart-wrenching cases of systematic rape and so much more. You could easily find these brave female survivors' testimonies online, as well as Dr. Adrian Zen's reports about the sterilization and abortion of Uyghur women. Now, we have Tersnai Zawai Wudin, who is a survivor of the camps, and I have summarized her words from an interview she gave to the Cornell Daily Times, where she said, and I quote, while some women celebrate International Day, Uyghur women are suffering. The intention is to just delete people. Our language has disappeared from the schools, even before these concentration camps. We didn't have any control of any movement or anything. It was very scary. After 10 p.m., we would start to hear women screaming. We couldn't dare to close our eyes because our, we always feared that we could be taken into torture anytime. Some of the women disappear for several days and never come back. They didn't even say a word, they just stared and didn't say anything. Some of them disappeared forever. We weren't allowed to cry, we weren't allowed to speak. If I talk about everything I experienced and witnessed, it'll take me hours. Let me just tell you that if it has left a deep scar in my heart and memory, we are all facing female rights violations by the Chinese government. We have a common ground where we stand against China's oppression and human rights violations. Yeah, it's pretty harrowing you recounting what's Women what's going on. Women on the line. Women on the line. So following from that, how are Uyghur women resisting being targeted by the Chinese state? Yep. So on one hand, Uyghur women have been the most vulnerable victims of the genocide 
And yet, on the other hand, they've also been the most fiercest fighters, especially the ones who have escaped the concentration camps so bravely by speaking up about their heart-wrenching stories, by reclaiming their power, their agency, and voice back from the government that imposed state-sanctioned terror on them and their body autonomy. Now, their stories are just a few among the stories of countless Uyghur women and children in East Turkestan, who to this day are still suffering unconscionable abuses by the Chinese government's intent on destroying the Uyghur people and their future. But these women are not just victims of a genocide, they're also survivors. They are brave and resilient women, daughters, mothers, sisters who dare to speak up of the genocide with the hopes that one day the nightmare will end. They, like many of the Uyghurs in the diaspora, are fighting to be reunited with their families. They are fighting not only for the generations that suffer today, but to stop the destruction and the future generations to come. There are so many tremendously incredible brave women who are utilising their professions, social platforms and voices, whether it's in journalism, literature, law, science or even art, to create momentum and resistance. Then there are the women that I have watched growing up in Adelaide despite of having to attend to their children, their work responsibilities, both inside and out of the home, showing up to every protest, and the women who are passing on the native language, the customs, the food recipes, the traditions as a form of resistance. At today, Uyghur women are probably our biggest hope for the next generations. They are the ones doing so much work in the groundwork, both internationally and behind the scenes, by testifying about the experiences and using whatever resources they have to do anything but basically stay silent. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, sounds like so much staunch resistance that maybe is lesser seen but is going on all the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What tactics does the Chinese state use to spread disinformation and quash dissent? So, like I mentioned earlier, according to testimonies, the CCP actually started two to three week re-education camp systems to prepare for it on a much larger scale. Currently, China is spending a huge amount of money to spread propaganda, not only in the international community, but also within mainland China. They use platforms that they can get any media attention on, just like they did at the Olympics, where they use an Uyghur girl to light the final torch. The interesting thing is that she just disappeared after she lit the torch. She didn't participate in any of the sports, nor was she seen afterwards. So this was obviously to portray the Chinese government in a positive light and deflect the situation. But... I mean, one Uyghur girl holding a torch and then disappearing just isn't going to do anything, or at least I hope it didn't. people didn't fall for it. If we look back at when the United Nations collectively questioned China on the camps, they had initially completely denied their existence. Then due to ongoing pressure, they framed the camps as re-education camps. So not only did they then admit to their existence, but then they came up with a narrative that 90% of these students had already graduated, whereas the reality was and still is. There are concentration camps that exist. There are about one to three million Uyghurs and Kazakhs that are in those camps who are still suffering. And China is still turning the land into a bloodbath and covering up with ongoing propaganda. And China will also spy on members of the Uyghur community by using apps like WeChat, which is like the equivalent of what we have of WhatsApp or Messenger. The only difference is what you're like, they can pretty much hack into your phone and see what you're doing, who you're talking to. We witnessed how Scott Morrison's WeChat got hacked. They've also hired white people in the UK to help CCP by becoming vloggers who visit Occupied ET 
to basically furthermore add onto their narrative that Uyghurs live in peace and practice their culture and religion um, freely. Now, in coming May, Michelle Bachelet, who is the UN Human Rights Chief, will be visiting the Xinjiang area. And I'm actually very eager to see how, you know, the Chinese government is going to use propaganda. But what will most likely happen is they'll probably let her visit some what versions of what's going to resemble a school where everyone will be sitting in regular looking classrooms, fully clothed, hair and makeup looking pretty like neat and tidy. They'll be, you know, looking like as if they're learning and they'll be very like coordinated. So that's one thing to pay an extra attention to. She'll probably be able to meet some Uyghur families who will act as if they are really happy or looked after by the Chinese government. They'll probably even invite her in for a meal. She might witness Uyghur students in the Urumqi city and have them contact their families abroad to make it look like they have always been able to like stay in touch and contact their families without any consequences. In Turkey, for example, the authorities and Chinese embassy have already been making moves by pushing Uyghur students who reside in Turkey to contact their parents in occupied ET. There will probably be some sort of cultural dancing and entertainment to furthermore add on to this narrative. And to be honest with you, again, I'm very eager to see what else they'll utilize to portray this propaganda. Yeah, time will tell. Thanks for your insights there and the sophisticated propaganda machine there. Mm, Absolutely. So... In terms of Australia, what goods in Australia may be may be a result of forced Uyghur labour? So this is a really huge topic, especially as someone who studied the fashion industry. At first, I was going to make a list of all the generic brands that we all buy from. However, I know some of them have been contacted, some of them have responded, some of them haven't. So according to the ASPI, there are about 83 brands that are affiliated with forced labour. Now, obviously, when I have the time to go through 83 of them, so I'm just going to narrow it down to the ones who, after being questioned about their supply chain, didn't actually respond and are still complacent. And it begins with what used to be my favourite go-to place for, like, my homewares and DIY furniture, which is IKEA, and I'm sure is a favourite of many people. Then followed by IKEA is Apple, Phyllis Sports, Esprit, and Tesla surprisingly has recently opened a showroom in Urumqi City, which is obviously still in occupied ET, where there have been sites of these camps. So despite an ongoing genocide, Tesla decided to open a showroom. And then moving on to fashion, nearly about 25 to 30% of world's cotton supply does come from China and straight out of the forced labor camps, which is equivalent to 80 to 85% of China's cotton production. So avoiding fast fashion has never been a crucial time as it is right now, unless the brand is super transparent about their cotton supply chain, like Country Road is where they use traceable cotton. The likelihood of something that is both made in China and is cotton has a very high chance that it's coming out of the camps, especially if we're looking at that 80 to 85 percentile mark. Again, please do visit the ASPI website to take a deeper look at if the brands that you shop with are on the list, because the chances are that they probably are. Yeah, it's very concerning. Yeah. How can listeners stand in solidarity with Uyghur people? Yep. So as Uyghurs, we have been trying to amplify the voices of ordinary Uyghur women who lived suffered and continue to struggle to survive the genocide in ET, but it's just not enough to tell and hear their stories. I think that at the end of the day, as human beings, each and every one of us has a responsibility to do what we can do to act, to help, to end this genocide that separates mothers from children, that seeks 
to control and destroy Uyghurs in the womb, the orphanages, in the camps, and everywhere else in Niti, as well as out here in the diaspora, where the long arms of the CCP continues to target us. We could initiate different actions we can take, whether at the government level, at the CSO level, as legal professionals, or as ordinary human beings who refuse to turn a blind eye to the genocide. I think as human beings, we just can't afford to be ignorant at this point. The one thing that we can also start doing is reaching out to the companies where we buy our clothes from and ask for transparency on their supply chain. At the end of the day, they're businesses and they care about their customers' concerns and feedback. We need to push legal action to a clean supply chain and a form of legal legal advocacy and a regulation process. I often think to myself, like, you know, what will I say when the future generations ask me what I did about this genocide? Just like what I ask what people did when the Holocaust happened. Like, did they just sit back and watch? And is that what we're doing? So... To be honest, let's make an effort to have a conversation about this issue amongst each other. Let's talk about it more with our friends, our families, our colleagues. Let's reach out to members of the Uyghur community to hear about their stories. And please do not be afraid to ask them questions with the intention of listening and helping in whatever way possible. I know that we can all be a bit afraid of asking questions, but in this case, don't be, just reach out. I know that majority of the Uyghur community are so open, so friendly, and very facilitating to sharing their stories and exchanging stories and what else we can do to help each other. And I'm going to end this on a final note that when our future selves look back, will we be able to reflect and say, I stood on the right side of history? Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. I'm Women on the Line, Fasi that. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Iris. I appreciate your time as well. You just heard from Uyghur community member Fazilat speaking on the Uyghur struggle against genocide in occupied East Turkestan in northwest China. Across these stolen lands now called Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. On March 20, there was a Uyghur and Muslim-led National Day of Action standing for Uyghurs. We hear from parts of the protest in so-called Melbourne, starting with MC Idol Ali. On the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, we'd like to pay respects to their elders past and present, and inshallah, the elders that are to come to the future. And it's really important for us as we're on stolen land, a land that is a settler colony, a land that's being currently occupied, um, that we acknowledge that and that we support the resistance of Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people um, and of all people who are fighting for their land back the same way that the Uyghur um, people are fighting to have East Turkestan back, inshallah. Free East Turkestan! Free East Turkestan! Free East Turkestan! Free East Turkestan! And we go into the next speaker, this is going to be, who's part of the Free Palestine Movement, Mai, who's part of the Free Palestine Melbourne and Palestinian Community Association of Victoria. A lot of you guys that I'm seeing here, I also saw you guys at the Palestinian protest, so alhamdulillah, it's great to see you guys here again. Thank you everyone. Now as a Palestinian-born woman who's lived under an oppressive apartheid state that limits human rights, freedom of movement, and indiscriminately dominates and murders men, women, and children. The Uyghur people in the struggle of East Turkestan is very close to my heart. It is the same struggle. 
is a struggle against state violence, oppression and domination. It is a struggle against genocide and the right for people to live in safety, to practice their own religion, culture and identity. It is a struggle that we as Palestinians understand very well. So free, free, free is Turkestan. Free, free is Turkestan. Free, free Palestine. And free, free every single person who is dominated by oppression and persecution by a violent state. So the next speaker is Fazalet, who's a, a Uyghur woman who's based in Australia, and she's going to be speaking. And I just want to say, you know, it's really difficult. Um, a movement where people are afraid that if they speak out, that their family and their friends back home will be punished for it. So I think for the Uyghur community, it's especially important that we're showing up and we're showing out when our families are not at the are not in danger in the same way. So inshallah, khair, and let's keep showing up. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for being here and taking your time out to stand along every single Uyghur person. Now, I'm much not much more of a protester or an MC or a political activist. I can tell you how to dress, how to style your home, definitely creative. But this is, as an Uyghur woman, a cause that's very close to my heart. And there's a few things I need to speak up about. <laughs> I speak up because Gilzira Elkin was detained for 18 months, forced to strip Uyghur women naked, tie their hands and leave them to Chinese men. I speak up because Tersnai Zawawadun and millions of other Uyghur women are beaten, tortured, raped, electrocuted, starved and humiliated by Chinese soldiers. I speak up because Nasrul Yazatofi, a five-year-old boy, was found frozen to death in a ditch in Hotan City after his parents were taken to concentration camps. Many other Uyghur children are forcefully separated from their parents and sent to overcrowded state-run orphanages where they are brainwashed and stripped of their identity. I speak up because Sarah Gul Sawatbay was one separated from her family, forced to teach concentration camp prisoners the Chinese language and propaganda, and she is traumatized to this day for all the torture she had simply witnessed. I speak up because of the Gulja and Urumqi massacres, where Chinese officials cold-bloodedly murdered innocent Uyghur people on the streets. I speak up because an old woman a farmer was brought to the camps for simply on the accusation of having contacted someone abroad, even though she didn't even have a phone and wouldn't have known how to use one. An old woman taken to what's called the dark room. She came out with wounded all over, bruised her skins, cut and her nails lost. I speak up because I know women who were forcefully sterilized. I speak up because every Uyghur person I know has at least one mem family member in occupied East Turkestan who is either detained for no reason or missing. They simply want to be reunited with their families. I speak up because I have witnessed what it is like to be back in occupied East Turkestan. I speak up because Mihira Yakub, Dolkun Isa, Mirzat Mesanov, Roshan Abbas, Muharram Kashkari and her children and many others are separated from their families and detained just for being Uyghur. I speak up because China is harvesting Uyghur organs. I speak up because the crimes being committed by the Chinese government need to stop. It is by definition a genocide. I speak up because I just want to go back to my homeland, where they have, but they have turned it into a bloodbath. 
I speak up because an Australian, as an Australian Uyghur woman, I need my other fellow Australians and the government to stop being so complacent in this massacre because our silence and ignorance is exactly what's facilitating the bully to flourish. I speak up because I'm sick and tired of using every fibre of my existence to fight for our rights to be recognised as human beings. And I speak up because I will not stop speaking up until we have justice and freedom for Uyghurs. I do not have the privilege of staying silent. I'm risking the lives of my family back in my homeland by being here today and speaking. It needs to stop and I ask you to speak up with me. Thank you. And Chinese genocide! And Chinese genocide! And Chinese genocide! And Chinese genocide! So I'm going to read the demands. Um, these demands were put together um, by Uyghur Muslims, by people who were involved in organizing, and by the wider Muslim community, alhamdulillah. So, um, the Uyghur, the demands are broken up into three parts. Um, it's what we demand of ourselves as Muslims and non-Muslims who are supporting this cause, um, what we demand of the Australian state, and what we demand of the Chinese state. As Muslims and non-Muslim supporters of the Uyghur and other persecuted minorities in China, we demand that the people stand for Uyghurs that have been subject to genocide by sharing the campaign online and using the hashtag StandForUyghurs. Distribute educational resources online and share knowledge with your communities about the people killed, disappeared, and imprisoned in concentration camps from East Turkestan to counter genocide denialism. So I've noticed when I look around, a lot of people who are here, I know from people that I know here are from our, my halakha, the group, the halakha group that I go to. So I think it's really beautiful to see people who already come together to learn together to come and be protesting together. So inshallah, whatever group you're part of, if it's a book club, if it's a sport club, even on the bus, like have these conversations. Let's build up our knowledge and let's change as a community, inshallah. Um, we're showing solidarity within the Uyghur community by attending and supporting their events and their protests. Make sure that you're not organizing anything without consultation and leadership from them. Working to support and strengthen, um, apply pressure to Australian companies to cut ties with brands and corporations using forced Uyghur labor. As we know, the, um, the concentra concentration camps, the re-education, quotation mark, camps are used, are a place of um, forced labor for Uyghur Muslims. Um, pressure the government to enact laws to further support for our Uyghur brothers and sisters work to pressure and call out Muslim nation states with ties to China to stand up for our Uyghur brothers and sisters. Address Australian Islamophobia and anti-Asian racism that legitimizes the Uyghur genocide because anti-fascism includes anti-authoritarianism on all fronts. Stand in solidarity with all First Nation people on this continent whose lands are being extracted to serve Chinese capitalist interests enabled by the Australian government. To the Chinese state, we demand an end to all forms of imperialism and state violence and freedom of East Turkestan through non-imperialist means. This includes the closure of concentration camps, the end of forced Uyghur labor, an end to sexual abuse and violence against Uyghur people, including justice for women who were forcibly married, an end to all sterilization and forced population control mechanisms, justice for disappeared Uyghur activists, their families, and missing children on their terms, 
release of all those imprisoned in concentration camps, reopening of mosques, and restoring the right to practice Islam freely, including the right to call the adhan, which is our call to prayer, and the right to possess a Quran, especially one that isn't altered by the Chinese government. A return of Uyghur properties and business forcibly confiscated that Uyghur people have sovereignty of their own land. To the Australian state, we demand that the Australian mainstream media center Uyghur testimonies and reports on the Chinese government's hu human rights violations using the terminology of genocide, no watering down, no co-opting. The recognition of the role of the Australian war on terror played what the Australian war on terror played in enabling the genocide of Uyghur people, that Australia upholds the rights of refugees fleeing state violence, including expanding the intake of Uyghur and other refugees. We demand the release of all currently detained asylum seekers and refugees in offshore and onshore refugee detention in accordance with the non-refoulement principle of international law. That was Ido Ali reading the demands of the Stand for Uyghurs rally in Melbourne on March 20. You can follow the campaign by searching Stand for Uyghurs in your search engine or on social media. That's all for this week. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. We'd love to hear your comments or thoughts about the program, so please send us an email at womenonthelion at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 9419 You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. I'm Iris Lee. Tune in to Women on the Line next week on your community radio station. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.